the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Google's search mechanism, like if you type into the bar, whatever it is you're searching on Google. Yes. Beagle puppies. You're using something called BERT. And that's been what the standard has been at Google for quite some time now. And it works pretty good. I mean, Google's by far the most popular search engine out there. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always been happy with it. Uh, I hate the fact that it gives me, you know, ads at the top when it knows exactly what I'm looking for. But, you know, you get used mm-hmm. to it. Um, but it's being replaced by MUM this month, a model for complex searches that is 1,000 times more powerful than BERT. And like I said, I think we were all pretty pleased with Bert, but this is a thousand times more powerful. How powerful do I need? So when you start Googling things, you're going to notice a difference, I guess. It gives you a for instance. I don't know if this is a good for instance or not, but this is a for instance they give you. (laughs) Uh, Below is an example of how mum is used. A question could be asked by the user in the Google bar. Can I use these shoes to hike on Mount Fuji? And you would include a picture of the shoes in the question. No, I wouldn't, because I don't know how. (laughs) Mom would analyze the picture, figure out what the shoes are, relate it to the question of whether or not you you could hide Mount Fuji in them, answer it, and then redirect you to a suitable site if the boots are not suitable, or tell you that your boots are perfectly suitable by providing you with an article that explains why. Hmm. And they say that's a thousand times more powerful than what they've currently got, What is I guess. Because I am a user of the Internet, and I'm not actually interested in seeing if this works. I'm seeing if uh, how I can break algorithms. I put a pair of boots that are two different boots. Right? <laughs> like One's a rain galoshes, and one's like a, a stripper platform high heel. <laughs> <laughs> what, is the, what do you do now, computer? You might make mum cry. <laughs> You've made your mum cry. <laughs> Again. But uh, so I don't know if you notice your Google searches. I don't know. I don't. My Google searches are never that complicated. It's usually a word I don't know. Teat. How do you spell? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. I know where to find that. <laughs> <clears throat> How do you spell? Yeah, I do a fair amount of that. Yeah. Well, it's ironic that that works. You know, it's like looking up a word in the dictionary that you don't know how to spell. How do you do it? And yet it works. I'm constantly looking up Celsius to Fahrenheit because the only thermometers we have around here to check your temperature are in Celsius, and nobody can figure out how to put them back to Fahrenheit. I don't know how that happened, but I'm a fan of whoever did it. Yeah, somebody (laughs) put the thermometers out here that we're supposed to check ourselves with to Celsius. Like the little forehead ray gun style ones? Oh my god, I'm 32. I must be dying. If, If they did it to be a dick, pardon me, then I like them. If they did it because they think it's a superior system, then I hate them. <laughs> it is a superior system, but I was talking to my son about that the other day. He brought up, because uh, they're learning the metric system. And it's so freaking simple. Oh, it is. It's, it's, it's clearly a better idea. There's nothing to memorize, for one thing. Oh, yeah? What's a dozen in the metric system? <laughs> you don't have it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, positive shot. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Oh, uh, boy. Um... <laughs> So I haven't looked this over yet, so I'm doing this cold. Sean highlighted it for me. I will trust that he highlighted it properly. The headline is, um, a city that sends a drone almost every time the police are dispatched on a 911 call, and this could become the future of policing. In Southern California, the town of Chula Vista, drone flights are launched to the scene almost every time someone calls 911. Most everywhere else in the United States, drone pilots have to secure a hard-to-get waiver to fly beyond the visual line of sight or over people. I didn't know that. Hmm. 
I know people that fly drones over people all the time. But you're supposed uh, to have a special waiver to do that, I guess. How do I know where there are people until I send my drone there? <laughs> <laughs> but in 2018, Chula Vista got a special waiver to do that. That waiver permitted the department, the police department, to create its drone as first responder program. Or DARFPERS. <laughs> <laughs> which allows police to fly over the entire city using small multi-rotor drones that are launched and piloted largely from central headquarters. Uh, in March, the FFA, FAA... Not the F- not the future farmers of America. <laughs> I don't know why they're even asking us. <laughs> but sure, go ahead if you want. Go ahead if y'all want to. <laughs> I think this cow got it into the onion patch. Um, so now when a call comes into 911, the dispatcher decides whether or not to send a drone. The drone launches from the department headquarters and flies to the scene of the incident, incident at an altitude of about 300 feet. All the way it records video through its zoom camera lens. The footage is stored in Chula Vista's evidence.com data repository, where detectives and police can access it, as well as the DA's office. The department has denied public access to the footage, claiming it's an exception under some rule. So they get to look at it, but you don't. According to the police force, as of March, the drones have flown more than 5,400 missions and played a role in more than 650 arrests. So this could be coming to a town near you since March, 5,400 drone missions for the police department. Hey, uh, Michael, do you have the uh, Ogahorn handy? Sorry, I almost belched right in the middle of saying Auga, which would have been ironic in a way. Go ahead and hit it. Libertarian concern alert. Libertarian concern alert. This is an official libertarian. Con- if this were an actual libertarian concern, you would. No, actually, it is. So yeah. the uh, this is a pretext for the armed government agents to videotape to surveil vast swaths of the town. The pretext being some nine one one call, which, as we all know, roughly thirty percent of those are getting the wrong food at the McDonald's drive. <laughs> being angry about it what exactly are these drones looking for during all these flights again their cameras are on as joe pointed out they're videotaping all the way over to the track traffic accident or wherever they're headed and keeping that stored in a database yeah hello the chula vista police department posts detailed re- records online of where their drones fly and why many of the flights involve clearly dangerous scenarios weapon threats assaults fires others are less so a person sleeping on a sidewalk a water leak a report of someone drunk in public. Hey, don't knock my hobbies. Some are downright weird. Drones were sent out more than once to situations described as fake COVID testing. What? <laughs> I'm going to need you to pull down your pants. Why? I'm a COVID tester. Oh, well, all right. All right. <laughs> I'm with the county. Oh, okay. Oh, the county. Uh, there are tragedies. Obviously, Chula Vista's drones fly regularly when police conduct welfare checks and respond to reports of domestic violence. Drones fly to the scenes of child endangerment incidents, attempted suicides, overdoses, um, you know, all the things that police departments do. Um, suspicious circumstances, suspicious person, unknown problem, subjects causing disturbance. So there'd be all kinds of trips that the drones would take yeah, that turned out to be nothing. Well, as you saw earlier, they've taken 5,400 missions and played a role in 650 arrests. Well, that means there are roughly, what, you know, 4,900 missions that the drones flew videotaping all the way, and there was no arrest made. Yeah, how about you send them when there's a clear need for a drone? 
and not just surveil the population and record it because somebody's asking you to drop your pants for a fake COVID test. (laughs) In the wake of intense new scrutiny around police violence, they're shifting to a new rationale for using drones. De-escalation. They argue that sending a drone to the scene of an incident instead of an armed human being is a way for police to get a sense of what's going on from a detached perspective, reducing risk to both police and public. That makes sense. I, I got to believe if it's a very sketchy situation, you want the police on the way as fast as you can, not send a drone, watch for a while, and then descend, decide to send the police. But I feel like the best scenarios are when they are used in conjunction, right? The drone may be able to get there two minutes before the, the squad car can. Sure, yeah, it's our eyes in the sky. True. Now, here's a good quote from somebody who's worried about the uh, liberty aspect of it. For generations, the Fourth Amendment was not the biggest limit on surveillance. It was economics. Police had to be somewhat conservative with invasive surveillance tools because they were so expensive, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But as these tools get cheaper and cheaper, Fourth Amendment jurisprudence fails to keep up, and you end up with a cheap and affordable surveillance state where the tools that are being used are massively disproportionate to the harms they're combating. That's pretty good right there. And as Glenn Greenwald has pointed out, a surveilled people is an obedient people. Yeah, it's, just have to be. It's not that the government, the man, didn't want to have video cameras everywhere in your town, videotaping everybody outside at all times. It's just, it wasn't possible. Either the cost of the cameras or the storage was a huge part of it. Sure. Um, Having a helicopter in the air at all times. When it was videotape and all that sort of stuff, where where are you going to store gazillions of hours of videotape? But now, obviously, you can store gazillions of hours of digital footage, and you'll just have every bit of town surveilled all the time. The constant hum of drones above. Right, right. There's not a town in America above uh, 25,000 population that doesn't have a 911 call or somebody responding to it 24-7. Sure. Which thereby justifies the surveillance of the entire population all the time. Please, it's not a difficult leap to make. No. And the, the Fourth Amendment is there to protect us from the government. Our, we all and and I'm, pro, getting... I'm pro-cop, pro-law enforcement, and the rest of it. But I also understand the historical uh, reality of the thing. You have to limit their power. We need Go to ahead, Sean. Repurpose butterfly nets for drone nets. And then anytime you see a drone, you just scoop it out of the sky. You know, that might be the way it ends up in court. People stopping these drones from flying, the city trying to make the argument that they need them, and then it just keeps going up courts until the Supreme Court decides, yeah, exactly why do you need to send a drone to every location all the time? I, I don't know, but it, it'll be... I'll tell you this, it's going to be a a, a huge lag time between we're surveilled all the time and the courts finally do something about it. Yeah, I I would agree. Yeah. Because look what's happening in Chula Vista. you got a town in America already where they, in the last couple of months, they've sent out nearly 6,000 videotaping drones around the city to just videotape and then store that indefinitely and you're not allowed to see it. Yeah, what about the indefinite storage? I hadn't really contemplated that much. See, you go to a call for uh, two idiot drunks scrapping in the street, and you get there and you say, all right, break it up there, you boys. Go to your homes. You're drunk. And they do. Why is all of that videotape on the way there, probably on the way back? Why is that being stored? For what purpose? Nefarious purposes, that's why. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. There's a whole bunch of people in New York running for mayor, including um, 
old Yang, the Yang Gang. What's his name? What's his Andrew, name? Andrew Yang, Yang, I believe, yeah. Who ran for president. But two candidates yesterday, uh, well, I'll just read this story as it's written. The New York Times notes that while neither Sean Donovan nor Raymond McGuire is considered a front runner in the mayoral race, although it's early, their answers to a question posed by the New York Times editorial board to eight candidates have many, noting they may not fully understand the plight of working people in their own constituency. They ask these candidates, all of them, what the median sales price for a home is in Brooklyn. Now, huh. um, you could say, well, you ought to have some idea. But they're beyond that. One of them, Donovan's who, who's running, served in the, as the city's housing commissioner under Mayor Michael Bloomberg and ran the, Dem- the Department of Housing and Urban Development under President Obama. Wait a minute. You'd think he would know. Yes. He said in Brooklyn, average price of a home in Brooklyn, I don't know, I'd guess around 100000 the other guy, McGuire, who's an investment banker from Citigroup, he said, I'm thinking eighty to 90000 maybe even higher. The real number is 900000 Holy crap. I was going to say, wait a minute. I'm not a New Yorker, and I know those numbers are ridiculously low. So if you ever have felt like the investment banker or the guy in government is out of touch, well, there's your answer. So the guy who was involved with housing and urban debe- development, he was the city's housing commissioner, was it couldn't even come within it's, it's it's amazing that you could be this far off well he he was like around 12% of the correct answer guy and the other guy the investment banker he's just been so rich for so long i don't know i suppose poor people uh, for them to buy a house regular people it probably cost him what 80 grand to buy a house it hasn't cost 80 grand to buy a house in a place like brooklyn in 30 years? 40 years? Maybe 100. I don't know how long. The, so, again, the, the real answer is 900,000. Isn't That's that amazing? That's the median. Wow. Woof. Wow. You, you got you got to be more plugged into reality if you're going to be able to talk about policy and what policies ought to be this and that. you got to have a better idea. Oh, yeah. What here, here. Costs. I mean, come That's on. embarrassing. Get them out of there. Who's that guy who's leading who's, who's uh, impressive? We had some clips of him the other day. Oh, it doesn't matter. If we can come up with those later, that's fine. But it's not like we cover New York politics a lot. So Forbes put out the list of the 10 uh, athletes who made the most money in 2020. Number 10, former warrior, now turncoat Kevin Durant, made $75 million last year. Plays for the New Jersey Nets. Brooklyn Nets. Is the Brooklyn Nets? New Jersey Nets. Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Where a house I've heard on average costs (laughs) about $900,000. That's funny. I heard it was 80. (laughs) Tom Brady. At the age of 62, finished ninth on the list. He made $76 million with being a, being a Buccaneer last year. Wow. Uh, the, wow. This list includes uh, sure. endorsement and yeah. side businesses, yeah. too. Yeah. Which it should. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, you got to build a brand, Sean. It's all about the brand. Number eight, a race car driver you don't know, Lewis Hamilton, made $80 million. Uh, number seven, tennis player Roger Federer at $90 million. We're only at number seven, and it's $90 million. Roger Federer. One thing I notice is almost all of them are like upper 30s or 40 for the most part. So I guess that's where you've built a brand and this is where you're really making your endorsement money. Exactly. Uh, a soccer player I don't know, Neymar. Oh, oh he's, 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 he's the soccer player. Gigantic. I'll take, I'll take your word for it. Um, LeBron James finished fifth at $96 million. 
Dak Prescott, the quarterback from the for the Cowboys? I would have never guessed. Football salaries are weird because the year that they sign, they get the signing bonus, throws a lot of it off because so much of their contract is front-loaded. He made $107.5 million last year, the quarterback for the Cowboys. Holy crap. I can't even conceive of that much money. <laughs> no, you can't. Cristina Ronaldo, soccer player who's dang near 40, is number three. Another soccer player, Lionel Messi, is number two. But who makes the most money in sports last year? He's a scumbag, it turns out, and a crazy person. He used to be a plumber who worked 12-hour days, six days a week. Had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, lived in a with his girlfriend in his mom's house. Babe Ruth. Conor McGregor huh. made $180 million last year, despite sucker-punching an old man at a bar. I was such a big fan of his before that, too, yeah, but I'm just I 100% know. out. Oh, no, I'm, I'm for him dying in the ring. Oh, jeez. Hello, we better edit that out when this airs, Michael. That's, uh, Why? that's harsh. Oh, it, he's, was he behind that bourbon? Yeah, uh, that's, uh, the, the, was a proper 12 whiskey, something like that. Yeah. That, that's where a large portion of his, uh, that money came from was I, sucker I, punching old man bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a tough guy. I fight regular citizens sitting in a bar. Oh, and hit them when they're not looking. Yeah. That is so freaking weak. Oh, yeah, he literally sucker-punched a middle-aged guy, yeah. or an oldish guy, as I recall. But he's a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to keep that in mind. And he did that whole thing with throwing the chair through the window of that bus and all that craziness. Yeah, yeah. He's, an, he's, an, he's very rich. $180 million. Holy crap. i got to launch me a liquor. That's how you make the real money. Ask Sammy Hagar. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. We got this note from the always interesting Paolo. He says, you guys mentioned Gavin Newsom's anti-recall money giveaway, but I don't think you mentioned it includes illegal immigrants. It certainly does. Yeah. Uh, they're going to give away billions of dollars in the state of Cal Unicornia, including families with dependent children, including undocumented families. Now, where's all this money coming from? Paolo mentions the Wall Street Journal reported in February this year there's been enough money printed since February of last year to increase the money supply by 26%. And more is already baked in for 2021, and there will be still more spending than that if the spending fiends get their way. Uh, and then he says, not to worry, though, it's just a ham-handed attempt to carry out Lenin's brilliant plot to destroy capitalism. And he sent along a link to a long piece in The Atlantic. John Lennon, but I repeat myself. of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yoko, John, yes, the, those those people. Now, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, Donnie. Um, and this is uh, Lenin describing how to kill capitalism or a market economy. He said, and this is in 1919, hundreds of thousands of ruble notes are being issued daily by our treasury. This is done not in order to fill the coffers of the state with practically worthless paper, but with the deliberate intention of destroying the value of money as a means of payment. There's no justification for the existence of money in the Bolshevik state where all the necessities of life shall be paid for by work alone. Long story short, they knew even after the revolution, the profit motive would reanimate a capitalist economy. So they had to crush it by completely debauching the currency. Wow. I, you know, I, I almost would feel better if I thought that's the reason they were doing it and not just incompetence. Band-Aid without forethought attempts. Just trying to, to win the next election yeah, through being ex- Santa Claus. Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, it, it is something, though, that we are just replicating Lenin's playbook for whatever reasons. Since you brought up California, the rest of the country should uh, really appreciate that. So California, it now looks like, is going to have a $75 billion surplus. And your tax money in other states added $42 billion to, to our surplus. So of that $75 billion, see, there was going to be a 30-some billion dollar surplus even mm-hmm. without some of your tax money. But thanks for sending an extra $42 billion extra other states to California to make sure it has a $75 billion surplus. And so, and bailing out all these bad policies. So it's, it's horrible for taxpayers in other states that they have to give money to a state that was going to have plenty of money anyway right. or bail out their problems. And if you live in California, all the mismanagement of us, so many things gets covered up with this bailout. Right. And so just continue to spend more money than you take in. Ah, so the gravy train keeps it rolling. So One more maddening. quote from Lenin that I want to th- th- dovetail with something Jack just said. But the simplest way to exterminate the very spirit of capitalism is therefore to flood the country with notes of a high face value without financial guarantees of any sort. The guy who would end market economies. Now, getting back to the Biden policy is funny. I was just reading about this very thing. Uh, there are all sorts of utterly ridiculous unenforceable aspects to the giant uh, cash giveaway that they're talking about the two trillion dollar one and one of them let me uh, scroll down to that section one of them is to forbid states from lowering taxes because they got federal money you can't use the federal money to lower taxes even if you don't need it you got to keep your taxes up for some reason. But if you can somehow, through accounting jujitsu or whatever, convince the federal government, and this is if you understand the idea that money is fungible. I mean, it's, if, if you give money to an entity, it doesn't matter which department you gave it to if it's able to switch money around from within departments, right? Or department to department. Anyway, so if you can prove to the federal government that you offset the lower taxes with spending cuts or another source of revenue, not with the federal money, you offset it a different way, then you can keep all the federal money that, that flowed in. Fun. The best uh, way to understand fungible to me was a joke David Letterman used to tell all the time about uh, a beggar guy on the street saying, could I have, uh, have some money to buy some food? And you say to the beggar, well, you're just going to take the money and use it. You're going to buy booze with it. Oh, I got drinking money. <laughs> that is the best way to understand fungible to me that exists. Yeah. Yeah. I worry, man. Inflation how is is devastating? <laughs> if this all goes to hell, and like there's just this, the biggest economic crisis we've ever had in our nation's history by far, it's not going to be difficult to figure out what was going on. Um, the the whole California thing is crazy. So stuff like the hundred and fifty billion dollar bullet train that should die probably won't die because it's being propped up by the federal government and states all across the country. And all, there's all, all kinds of great examples. Yeah. It's just awful. It's it terrible. Uh, you got inflation already beginning in several sectors. You have uh, uh, employees who won't come back to work, and we're going to add two trillion dollars to that. That's suicidal. Michael, I think we need transition music. <laughs> 
Well, the rehearsal went very, very well. This is the actual debut, I think, of a future, of a feature, rather. Where, see, the rehearsal went better than the real thing. It always does. Bad rehearsal, good show. That's what they say. Welcome to Wolkshevik's On the March. That there's a tsunami of wokeness. That there's a tsunami of wokeness. Mm. That there's a tsunami of wokeness. Gotcha. That there's a tsunami of wokeness. <laughs> Sounds like the world's most deadpan alarm. That there's a tsunami okay. of wokeness. All right. All right, I get it. And that's the Chinese national anthem, right? That's a nice touch. Nice touch. Damn counties. Have you ever listened to his meditation app? Yeah. I have not. That's have the one you? I use, yeah. It's very popular. Um, it's called Wake Up, I think. Waking Up. Yeah. Waking Up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with that tone of voice, I could see how it would help you. But I think I'd fall asleep and go back to bed. I don't know. Wake up. That's okay. (laughs) Going back to bed is okay. Yeah, that's fine. The world will keep spinning. It's not fine. i got to go to work. Hippies. (laughs) So, uh, so many woke stories, pro and con. It's impossible to get to them all during the course of a show, so I figured I'd just cram them all into one segment. First of all, this is a classic Western Michigan University. Their theater complex was vandalized with spray-painted slogans. All Lives Matter, Back the Blue, Blue Lives Matter, which were immediately called white supremacist slogans by university administrators. Uh, They declared these slogans inflammatory, sent out a letter, offered counseling to kids because they might go to pieces over somebody painting back the blue on the theater complex. Classic, I guarantee you, a Wolkshevist did it. I guarantee it was an activist who, who did the spray painting. It's it's a it's a ninety percenter, yeah. I would say. Good news from Christopher Rufo. I told you we'd be going uh, pro and con back and forth. Walt Disney Company has removed its entire anti-racism program from the company's internal portal. Backlash? We talked about this. Was it the backlash? Got to be the backlash. Good, good. I hope that is a, a permanent change. Good for them. I heard a good summary of what critical race theory is the other day. I was going to write it down and remember it because it was like a good one-sentence description for people who don't get it. But it is definitely the teaching of racism. There's no doubt about it. That you are born with immutable uh, things uh, because of your skin color. Including yeah, qualities, being, sins, yeah. characteristics, yeah. Yeah. Uh, including, oh, this is so good. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, we'll do this one first. This is so good. Northwestern students, one of the most prestigious universities in the country, Northwestern, according to an editorial in the school paper, white people walk on the sidewalk in an annoying way because of internalized racism and white supremacy. Hmm. What is the annoying way that I walk on the sidewalk? Just like rudely so people have to get out of your way. Huh. Not like going single file when you're approaching another group or always walking on the right. No, no, no. If the, I'm in a group and I approach the group, the group that breaks first loses. Mm. So, yeah, you guys, if, if you walk around my group, then my group won. Well, that's you're a white supremacist, according to the University of Richmond sociologist Badilia Richards. Uh, goes back to Jim Crow when black people had to step aside for white How people. How do you possibly <clears throat> believe this sort of crap? So the way I walk down the sidewalk is influenced by what was going on in the South many, many miles from where I lived and grew up. A I mean, hundred years ago, yes. And that's just in my nature. Oh, I'm hearing a little white fragility here. 
I mean, but that's just so stupid on its face. Oh, calling it stupid on its face is proof of racism. This is fun. I'm going to switch sides. I, I know I know that that is the argument among the white fragility, anti-racist crowd, but it's just so nonsensical. <laughs> that Jim Crowla, because in, you know, rural Mississippi, a white person will walk down the sidewalk with a black person expected to get off because of my uh, me being uh, raised in Wisconsin years after this happened. I would have that same point of view. It's just numbskullery of the highest order. Hey, it looks like you spilled a little coffee on your clan robe, white supremacist. According to the good doctor, who is it? She's got a Ph.D., Jack, and you don't. Well, I guess she's white- right, then. White people came to expect the right of way in public places. White people who were accustomed to moving through the world like that, intentionally or not, taught their kids to move through the world in the same way. And the racism that undergirded Jim Crow wasn't eliminated just because the laws were no longer overtly racist. So people who are rude walking through airports, it's white supremacy. Does she actually believe that, do you think? 100%, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Wow, you're a religion. You're a nut. It's a it's a cult. A uh, great piece in uh, the National Review, a welcome backlash against critical race theory. People are starting to wake up to what it is and how ugly and terrible it is. And they have a lengthy quote from Ibram X. Kendi, the high priest of this sick, racist new religion, <clears throat> who says outwardly, The defining question is whether the discrimination is creating equity or inequity. If discrimination is creating equity, then it is anti-racist. If discrimination is creating inequity, then it is racist. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. So you need to understand how how clearly and proudly they state that premise. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Really interesting episode of Bill Maher on Friday night on HBO, and he had on James McCorder, who I catch on a lot of podcasts. And um, it's interesting, you know, some of the best thinkers on all this critical race stuff pushing back against it aren't people whose expertise is this area. James Lindsay, who I love, he's a mathematics professor. This James McCorder, he's an English professor, linguistics and philosophy, but he's just, he as a black guy hates this whole ridiculous uh, notion that uh, his people are so fragile and uh, so weak-willed that that all this crazy critical race stuff needs to happen. And I think it's interesting that the liberal Bill Maher introduced James McCorder as one of his ideological heroes, somebody he just admires more than anybody and just can't wait to hear Mm. everything he has to say. This is something James McCorder said Friday night. You read a book like, and yeah, we're going to have to be specific, White Fragility, which basically says that black people are these hothouse flowers where everybody has to tiptoe around us. And, you know, we're always crying and we're always angry and we're just so very, very, very delicate. I don't feel like that person. That book is talking down to me as far as I'm concerned. It It really should be called Black Fragility. Yes, yes. It should be used to keep tables from wobbling. That is the only use for that book. (laughs) And yet... You, you look on Facebook and you have people saying, I'm doing the work and reading this book. And I think to myself, <laughs> they are doing the work of making me into a perfect idiot. Right. And yes, why don't more of my fellow black people feel that way? And it's because of a very human thing. 
which is that it is a very human thing to take on the victim identity. All people do it. We've all known people like that. A way you can do it if you're a black person, and all of us need to grab onto something sometimes, is to read a book like that and think, yes, I need to be treated that way. And I am going to start actively parsing it that way, because I don't think people realize what silly babies books like that make us look like. So something, something needs to be said. Silly babies. Really interesting to hear the spirited applause and, and, and cheers of the audience, too. It just shows you what a small but powerful cabal the woke crowd is. White fragility, and then he badmouths the, uh, the, 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 the Kendi book, uh, Anti-Racism. Both books that are being purchased by your local school with your tax money and being taught to your children. And he says the books are garbage and should be used only to, you know, level a table. <sighs> It's unbelievable to me that this is being pushed in my schools and in, in all government agencies. In Washington State, Jay Inslee, he mandated it, would require public employees in elementary and high schools, community colleges, state colleges and universities, and medical schools to attend mandatory sessions in the controversial and dehumanizing concept known as critical race theory. That is a uh, part of an actual letter from a bunch of uh, activists of various uh, colors and ethnicities who think it's it's dangerous garbage. Uh, Disney goes woke with new anti-racist agenda for employees. Headline in the New York Post. Disney is pushing critical race theory on employees through a new plan called Reimagine Tomorrow, urging workers to recognize their white privilege based on this book. In a battery of training modules on topics such as systemic racism and white fertility, according to Christopher Rufo, who's one of the activists against this, who got to this from Disney. I'm sure plenty of people were, were happy to leak it out to him. And uh, you're supposed to, as a parent there, they're telling you at Disney, you're supposed to uh, raise race-conscious children and realize that even babies discriminate against members of the other races. That comes from either the anti-racist book Garbage or the white fragility Garbage. Uh, this is all just garbage, and companies like Disney and others in our government, our schools are pushing it. It's amazing to me. You gotta sue them. Sue, and I have a list of lawsuits that are going on right now. If you're being discriminated against or badmouthed on the basis of your race, sue your employer. They drag you into a room and say white people are bad. Sue them. School my son used to go to put out an email. They were so proud that they bought brought, bought how many ever copies of these books yeah. for the school. Just unfreaking believable. It's garbage. That's enough of this. Now that. Transition music, please. Mailbag. I was trying to decide who to go with uh, for freedom-loving quotes of the day this week, and I decided on the late Greg Abraham Lincoln just because he was a, a, a dang old quote machine. Abe, Abe Lincoln, the current Secretary of State? No, indeed, Abraham Lincoln, the Illinoisan, the 16th President of the U.S., the Great Emancipator. I love this. I was unfamiliar with this Lincoln quote. Okay. Give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. Okay, I get it. Think about it. Think about it. Let's see. Skyler from beautiful Eagle Mountain, Utah writes, uh, On Friday's show, you're wondering what goes on in the mind of people who say they won't get the vaccine. Uh, I'm 36 years old, healthy, understand the miracle that is the vaccine, but understand statistically I don't really need it. 
I'll get just as sick from the corona or less as I will from the vaccine. That's not actually true. I mean, statistically speaking, that's the likelihood. I just, to me, it's a uh, it's a precaution with no downside. Yeah, I mean, I, the the one in many millions of people who actually has a reaction just it's not significant. Is I I don't need my seatbelt, but I still should wear it every time I get in the car. A fair parallel. I yeah, you know, the numbers are different, but it's it's a decent metaphor. Anyway, do what you do what you think you ought to do. Um, just don't whatever decision you make, don't make it about politics or culture or anything like that. Be be smarter than that. Oh, let's see. Oh, I love this. Uh, T in SoCal writes, I was concerned to hear your discussion of a judge's ruling requiring the city of L.A. to find shelter for all of the homeless, in quotes, on Skid Row by October 18th. Given the equity revolution sweeping our nation, I fully expect to get a knock on my door from the Department of Equitable Housing, stating that the most recent census data indicates that I have a four-bedroom house, but only enough people in my household to fill three bedrooms. So please meet Jim the Junkie, who will now be occupying the fourth bedroom that you don't use because he needs it more than you do. Wow. Jim the junkie. <laughs> well, hello, Jim. Uh, let me show you to your room. Uh, LC with this quote from James Clear, who is an author. Ambition is when you close the gap between your circumstances and your expectations. Entitlement is when you expect others to close the gap between your circumstances and your expectations. Ah, that's pretty good. That is good. I could have used that on my children this weekend. Oh, my. Were they feeling a little <laughs> entitled? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to tell you what my youngest son said about that, too. Uh-oh. It's good stuff. <laughs> uh, boy, so many things to talk about. I can't tell you what it is. Dang it! Dang it! The son of a... Armstrong and Getty.